It's uh, so good to be here with you all uh, in the house of the Lord on this Lord's Day um, and to bring the word to you. Uh, So if we could open up in a word of prayer, I know we've just prayed, but more prayer can never hurt, right? So let's, uh, let's pray. Father in heaven, Father of lights, we just ask you to open our eyes to your divine light, Lord that you shine more gloriously and resplendently and awesomely um, than any light that we have ever seen. And the most glorious and wonderful sunset or sunrise doesn't even hold a candle to the wonder of your mighty majesty, God. And we sit here Uh, This day, on your Lord's Day, every Sunday, under your word, because we have been given an inkling, a small taste of your goodness. And so, Lord, I pray and I ask that you would help this um, poor sinner here to speak a word in due season to bless uh, this congregation before you, Lord, because again, God, we are hungry. We ask for you to feed us. Please send your Holy Spirit to open our ears, open our eyes, soften our hearts so that we may receive the word and be satisfied. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you that you are true light and we ask you to speak to us this evening. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. The verse that I'm preaching on uh, this evening is John 1.9. Um, I started with a few verses, and then I got caught on one verse, so forgive me. But the verse is, the true light who gives light to every person was coming into the world. When last I spoke, we spoke of who was not the true light, and that was John the Baptist. And although he had a powerful ministry, he was not the true light. And the reason he was not the true light was because he was a man. And his calling was to testify to the true light. Um, Just as your and my job is to testify to the true light. When I was a senior in high school, my drama teacher had us do an interesting exercise. He had us split up into pairs, and one of us was blindfolded, and the other one was not blindfolded. And it was largely a trust exercise. The one who was not blindfolded was supposed to guide the other person around campus, and it was supposed to build rapport. So in an acting scene, you could trust what the other person was doing in maybe an improvisation scene. Um, But my drama teacher liked to wax philosophical at times, and he made an interesting mention of how uh, when each one of us was blindfolded, we each put our hands out as if we were trying to push our way through the darkness or push the darkness away because he said it isn't natural for us to be in darkness. It's more natural for us to be able to see. Um, Granted, when I was blindfolded, I just thought I was trying to find the next handrail so I wouldn't fall down flat on my face. Um, But I thought that that was interesting that um, we have a great desire for light in our hearts and in our minds. And there was a real relief when my hand did come in contact with a handrail. And the man who was guiding me or or my partner would say, yeah, that's a handrail. And there was an internal light that came on for a second. But yes, this is true. My my senses match the reality of what's being told to me. Um, 
And yet we all know that the moment that that blindfold came off of us, um, we were, every student who was a part of this exercise was relieved to be able to see for themselves. Um, throughout redemptive history, it's as if we have all been somewhat blindfolded throughout history. It wasn't um, as if we weren't receiving truth, but we weren't receiving uh, the fullness of the picture yet. We were receiving verbal communication through men who were sent by God, who were telling us the exact truth. But it wasn't as if the blindfold was fully revealed yet, because the fullness of the plan of God had not come in history. And that's precisely what the evangelist is trying to tell us is, the blindfold is off with Christ. There isn't the mystery of the coming Messiah anymore and who he would be. We have not just a mere picture of who this Savior would be, but we have the Savior. And you see, it's an interesting thing to think of true light. What is true light? And what does it mean that it was coming into the world? The, man, the natural man only knows of natural light. He has no category to think in true light. Light is light. Um, the unbeliever may know of colored light, reflected light, bright light, black light, laser light, artificial light, but it has no category for true light. There is no machine, instrument, measuring rod, or physical element which can allow a natural man to identify true light from false light. True light as true light is entirely unique and distinct, and it is entirely spiritually discerned. It is also said that this true light was coming into the world, because although it is said that just in the next verse that we read in verse 10 that the light was already here, it was still coming into the world. How? First, we have to understand what the Apostle John was trying to convey by the word true here. Those of us who are well acquainted with our Bibles know that time and time and time again, the prophets of old related the coming Messiah with light. From the very beginning of redemptive history, God is in the business of creating and orchestrating light. What's the very first creative act that God did? And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God caused there to be a separation between light and dark. Genesis 1, 3 and 4. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in the beginning, if we remind ourselves, was the Logos. God first created light and Jesus is the true light. Jesus was the one by whom God created all things. And so if light needs a source, Jesus is the source. He pre-exists the sun. He pre-exists the universe. The source of light is true light, is Jesus. John here, again, is setting us up to recognize that Jesus is God and that he is the source and substance of the first created light. By calling the Logos, the true light, John is identifying him as the creator, yet again, and the one from who all life and substance come from and are held together by and are sustained. We may also take notice of natural light. Without light, there would be no life. Light is needed for there to be life. 
Light doesn't all, only let us see. It, it, it is vital to every aspect of life. It's what grows the plants in the field. It what produces the vitamins and nutrients in our skin that allow us to live a wonderful life. It is what keeps the rain cycle happening and the oceans moving and the rivers flowing. And light is what gives Life beauty, because without light, there is no color. And if there is no color, there's no beautiful sunset. And if there's no beautiful sunset, there's no painting. And if there's no painting, there's no creativity. Life is over if there is no light. And if the true light did not give us light, life would not exist. And so again, John is tracing everything back to the Logos, who is God, who is Jesus. Jesus is the true light because from the very beginning of history, there's also been a spiritual hope, light and hope. I don't know, I know we have a lot of Lord of the Rings fans here in the audience, but um, it is when the war is raging before Helm's Deep and they think that they've lost the battle that Gandalf rises over the hill with a bright white light and hope comes and they're able to win the battle, right? It is light that often represents hope. And there is a spiritual light. I know sports fans don't know, but that's okay. Um, and, but there's a spiritual light for a spiritually dark world, right? Uh, from the promise of God given to Eve in Genesis 3.15 of a seed coming to destroy the serpent, after this vibrant, bright garden gets thrust into darkness, there is a small ray of hope that comes with the promise of the crushing of the serpent's head through the seed. And in each generation of the true people of God, they have hoped that the latest man of God, the latest king, or the most recent prophet will be that true light. There is always a temptation for us as humans to think that the next president, or the next political leader, or the next philosophy of the day and age, or the next artistic phenomena is going to be the light that opens us up to some new true spiritual insight that saves us from the prevailing darkness of this world. Um, just consider Eve's proclamation at Cain's birth. She says in Genesis 4.1, I have given birth to a man with the help of Yahweh. She does not make this proclamation over Abel. It is just over Cain. And the promise, she says this because she has been promised that the seed is going to crush the head of the serpent. And she has no reason to believe that her first child won't be that very seed. She's like, we've been thrust into darkness, but surely God will answer us immediately. And guess what? This first son had nothing except darkness in his heart. Do you not think that she had such a hope? That she's like, God, I see your light and I want it to be here now. Please let it be this son. And then the first man commits the fratricide. He kills his brother. And we're left here again. In the dark, waiting for the true light. That first ray of hope was dashed into pieces. Even, uh, <clears throat> but uh, that true light did not stop coming just because there was darkness. Uh, even by Cain, the, that man who could be said to be darkness incarnate, God heightened the expectation of who this true light would be. He wouldn't be just another man. 
He wouldn't be just like you and I. He couldn't be that way. Because when sin entered the world through Adam, every single human being from that point forward was born with a sin nature, was born into this kingdom of darkness, was born as a child of Satan, was born loving the darkness and hiding in the darkness because they did not want their evil deeds to be exposed. But it is in this way that he was coming into the world. That with each new man of God, God was allowing us to see yet again that it couldn't be this man because he isn't God. It couldn't be this man because he doesn't fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. It couldn't be this man because of this or that indiscretion. And you can follow and track all throughout redemptive history how even the best men of God fell flat on their faces because of the darkness that was in them. Consider Noah. What was the symbol of God's promise to him? The rainbow. And what is a rainbow except a symbol of God's love made in light? Yet still, Noah was a man who failed to be that true light. Even after seeing him judge the whole world, he still sinned. He saw what God, God's disposition towards sin was. Hatred, wrath, judgment. And Noah, after seeing the whole world wiped out and get, receiving the promise of God in light, still decided to drink and rebel. Consider Abraham. What was he promised? That his descendants would be more than the stars in the sky. Can we not say that God's kingdom would be a kingdom of twinkling lights? In Abraham, the fulfillment of this promise was still as far off and as distant as the nights are, or, or as, the, as the stars are in the night sky, and yet they still shone surely and truly. But Abraham died like all men do. Consider Jacob, who wrestled the angel of the Lord until morning. He wrestled in the darkness of the night, and when the morning came, his name was changed from deceiver because that's what Jacob means, to Israel, which means he who wrestles with God. Consider Joseph, who dreamed of himself as a star that all the stars of his brothers and parents would bow down to. Was not this the very dream which provoked his brothers to cast him into a pit and sell him into slavery? But did this not also bring about the great plan of redemption? For although Joseph was prideful, he was still used to become the savior of his people. And he was still only second in the kingdom. Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And Joseph was only second to Pharaoh. And consider Moses, whose very countenance glowed after meeting with God on the mountain, whose face terrified the people because of the glory that dwelt upon him, so much so that he had to be veiled. Yet what does the word of God say of his end? Because of his sin, he was not able to enter into the promised land, and he too died. You see, with each rising man of God, there is this sense of hope that maybe this would be the one to redeem the people from their sins. And throughout Old Testament history, the true light was already shining, but it wasn't here in fulfillment. 
We had it in types and shadows. We had a dim light that was given then. And now in Christ, the fulfillment of that dim light was here. And the true light is shining. And the prophets spoke about it over and over again. Even the early, early prophets, such as Balaam in Numbers 24, 17. He speaks of this true light. I see him, but not now. I behold him. But not near. A star will go out from Jacob, and a scepter will rise from Israel. It will crush the foreheads of Moab and destroy all the children of Seth. Balaam uses the language of Revelation, I see him. And what does he see far off? A star coming from Jacob. The fulfillment of his prophecy still had quite some time before it comes to its full fulfillment. But even though he was meant to pronounce curses upon the people of God because prophecy is merely a tool or instrument to see the future, he could only see blessing because God controls and Jesus controls the future. But as surely as the glimmering star shines in the night, so too the light of Jesus Christ glowed to Balaam. And then look at the end of the Old Testament, Malachi 4.2. But you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will leap like fattened calves. What does Malachi liken the coming of the Lord to? A bright, glorious, shining sun. Those are the two bookends of the Old Testament. God creating light and separating it from darkness and giving us a promise of a coming Messiah who is going to crush the seed of the serpent. And then for those who revere the name of that very same Lord, the Son of Righteousness will dawn upon them. It's like in Genesis we have a soft timber of a rolling drum. And by the time we get to Malachi, it's like a long drum line has been brought out in procession that is singing forth the praises of this coming Messiah. And yet so many still missed it. Listen to Isaiah in Isaiah 9, 1 through 2. There will be no gloom for those who were in distress. In former times he treated the land of Zebulun and Naphtali with contempt. But in the future he will honor the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Light has shined on those who live in a land of darkness. And where Isaiah finished, Matthew picked up in Matthew 4.12-17. through 17. Now, when he had heard that John, who had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, in order that which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah would be fulfilled, who said, Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali toward the sea, and on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sit in darkness have seen a great light. The ones who sit in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned on them. And, that, and from that time on, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Really, at the heart and at the root of what John is saying to us by calling Jesus the true light is that if you want to know the full and final character of God, know Jesus Christ. 
You're not going to find him by merely gazing at the stars or going on a mountain and fasting until you're delirious. You're not going to find God by uh, entering into a religious sect who promises you that they have the full final revelation of God. You're not going to find God by going onto a college campus and who's going to tell you that all truth is subjective and you are God if you just believe it. You will not find God in any other place except Jesus Christ. If you want to know God, get to know Jesus. If you yourself have a sense of that darkness in the world that prevails that I do not need to convince you of, and you know that the whole world has been waiting with eager longing this true light to come and shine upon the land, and you in your life has felt the darkness and have sensed in your own heart And in your own mind, that prevailing shade, which is ever present, there is hope. True light has come. And it isn't because you have been good enough or performed well enough or any man of God has done enough. It is because we have all been so utterly and completely insufficient and incapable of representing this true light that Jesus Christ has come down and shone on us and shined brilliantly The hope of the ages has arrived and has proved and vindicated what all those previous impermanent, dim, and imperfect lights were pointing to. It's partly why the Apostles' previous clarification that John was not the true light is in the text. John is not the true light because under no circumstances could he have been the fulfillment of what all those prophecies spoke about. He was not born of a virgin. He is not the Prince of Peace. The government did not rest upon his shoulders. In fact, he died under government control. He had no capability of redeeming God's people from their sins. If the true light had not come into the world, John the Baptist would have been just another religious zealot who had a following for a while and then died as an insurgent. If the true light had not come into the world, all the writings of Moses would be just another mythological recollections of God's supposed working in the world. If the true light had not come into the world, all of the supposed divine visions of the prophets would be wild imaginings of insane charlatans who got lucky. All of the suffering of the people of God for the sake of the name of God would be meaningless. And the very book that we preach from would be nothing except another man-made writing that has no divine authority or spiritual power. Unless this true light, this fulfillment of prophecy, this very light of very light, this very God of very God, the substance and source of life and everything had come into the world, we of all people should be the most pitied. Because what the atheists out there say about us would be true. That we believe in a fairy tale. And it's utter nonsense. And why are we still doing this? Don't you think you have enough moral sentiment to know right from wrong? When in fact true light shines and it gives light to everybody. And the only reason that atheist has any moral sense whatsoever is because God has shown. And he gives light to everybody. And that atheist is created in the image of God. And if you take time to read the Greeks, like Plato and Aristotle, uh, they were obsessed with figuring out how we can know what we know. 
and what the true form and substance of the universe is. Not to go into Plato's ideas too much, but he talked about universals and things have form because they participate in a grand universal. And he believed that your eyes were light rays and they made meaning of the world by seeing the universal. If you want to know more about that, we can talk about it. But basically, it sounds to me that God gives substance to all things because he's the vast eternal principle of all things. He gives it its form and its substance. And he has created you in the image of God to discern the truth of things. To discern whether that chair is actually a chair. And does it participate in the essence of chairness, I guess. Just... (laughs) Justin Martyr, uh, an early church father, thought that the ideas of Plato were so Christian that he believed that maybe Plato had found salvation by looking at nature. That's not true, but Justin Martyr thought that. Um, And uh, if John the Baptist made a way for the the Jews and made straight the path of the Lord, uh, who's to say that Plato didn't kind of do that for the Greeks? Um, The mighty procession of this true light coming into the world... um, was not solely limited to the Israelites. God was shining brighter and brighter over that dark horizon and had given even some light to those Greeks. He gives some light to those outside of the church, right? You don't have to be a Christian to know that a man is a man and a woman is a woman. You don't need to be a Christian to know that right is right and wrong is wrong and telling lies is not good. That's written on our hearts. That's told to us in Romans 1. God has written on our consciences what is right and what is wrong. And yet we live in a world of darkness and lies that we can so convince ourselves that lies are light. But it doesn't matter what you believe. And all of reality is subjective. But that's not the case. True light has come and he has spoken with authority. And he has given us definitive parameters of how we're supposed to think. And we do not have to guess about the nature of the world. Uh, we were just talking before this about how uh, Caitlin was talking with a friend. And how <clears throat> uh, this friend, they're talking about transgenderism and what's going on in the world. Um, and how some people were really supportive about transgender ideas being in school. And um, one woman spoke up and said, that's awful. That's evil. And eventually it came to the point where the woman who was more affirming said uh, that basically, I can't remember what it was exactly. What was it? Drew the line at like, surgery. Yeah, drew the line at, at surgery for children. And the woman was like, see, you do have a line. And isn't it so exhausting to constantly be trying to draw a new line and scratching it out and drawing a new line and scratching it out and drawing a new line? Us Christians, we can rest. God has drawn the line and it is fixed and it is immovable. And all we have to do is say, God, word says it, and that settles it. We don't have to... constantly come up with new imaginings of how this world works because it has been set the boundaries have been set by this true light he has come and he has established the foundations of the earth and he is the source of light he's the fountain of all light and let me tell you this that one day again when the sun has laid down finally to sleep forever and the moon no longer rotates On its axis, we will be in the new heavens and the new earth. And the very true light 
that we live and believe in today will be our real light. And the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world will be our source and our substance. And it will no longer be mediated to us through natural light, but instead we will bask in the wonderful, peaceful, joyful, wonderful, glorious light of the Lamb of God directly. By calling Jesus the true light, John was letting us know that what we have always been hoping for in the world had come. And he is here. And it didn't stop in Jerusalem. It didn't stop in Rome. It kept going through Eastern Europe and it went from from Jerusalem to Africa and to Asia and to Russia and all the way down to Australia and it went across the ocean to America because the true light shines and nothing can stop it. Let me ask you this. If you have light shining, does, and if you want light to stop shining just because maybe you don't like your neighbor or something, does it listen to you where you say, don't go? No. Light chooses where it wants to go. It doesn't stop at your, your yard's boundary. It doesn't stop at your nation's boundary. It doesn't stop uh, in your church. It goes to the church next door. It doesn't stop in your town. It goes to the next town because light shines and it continues to go no matter what you say because that's the nature of light. It, it isn't held back. And you can contain it and try to confine it but that light is still going to be shining in there and if it is true light if it is spiritual light if it is the source and substance of all light there is nothing that can contain it because the word of God is not bound and we can praise God because the true light has shown on Casa Grande and it's here right now and it's here in this room in this building and I can see it all in your hearts, because God says that you are the lights of the world. Don't hide your light. Go out there and be that light to the world because you are the body of Christ. And you have been meant to go out there and tell people of this true light that we aren't waiting for the Messiah. We aren't waiting for the Savior of the world. We aren't waiting for the next king to come and rescue and save us he is here he is now and all that requires for you to be his child all that is required for you to be conscripted into his army all that is required for you to be his is to trust in him so trust in him the true light has come the tomb is empty and he is risen again let's pray Father in heaven, uh, Lord, we thank you for this day, God. We thank you for the grace, mercy, and kindness that you give to us every single day, Lord. I pray for those of us who may struggle with the sins of our forefathers, those who were dim lights. I, I pray for those who uh, struggle like Noah with drinking. I pray for those who struggle like Abraham with fear and unbelief. I pray for those like Joseph who struggle with pride. I pray for those like Moses who struggle with anger, Lord. I pray that they would recognize that, uh, that we would all recognize that if God, you used those men, loved those men, saved those men, shined on those men and came because those men were insufficient, Lord, you will always, always shine because we always need you. 
And there will never come a time where we do not need you, Lord. We pray for those who are trapped in darkness right now. We pray for those who believe lies. We pray for those who are possessed by the ideas of this world, Lord. You said that in your word you have come to destroy the works of Satan, Lord, and we ask you to destroy them. Lord, please hold back your wrath upon our nation as we have men and women who are standing in pulpits on this very day speaking the opposite of the truth of your word. I pray that you would shut their mouths and that instead, Lord, your truth would be proclaimed and shine forth brilliantly beyond what they could ever comprehend because we know that your word says that you are abundantly capable of doing above all that we ask or think, Lord. So we ask you to do that this night for you are the true light. And you shine brilliantly upon us, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. In your name we pray. Light of lights, King of kings, Lord of lords, Jesus. Amen.